you in the name of all that is good, all that is sacred, and in the warm and loving energy of this community, Spiritual Life Center. If you're joining us for the first time, we especially want to welcome you because we know that you are not here by accident. You're here by divine appointment. Thank you for joining us on your unique path today, and we hope you enjoy this special message from this past Sunday's service. Well, it must have been about 10 o'clock p.m. on a Tuesday. It was quite a while ago. It was February 25th, 1964. Three days past my birthday. It was well past my own bedtime. I had school the next day. But I was wide awake with anticipation. But it didn't matter about school because... At that moment, what was most important, I had this very small transistor radio. I know I'm dating myself. I think it had two stations on it. (laughs) And I had it to my ear. And I was listening with excitement and a little bit of trepidation. Because my sports hero, Muhammad Ali, then known as Cassius Clay, was about to fight Sonny Liston for the heavyweight championship of the world on Miami Beach. And Liston was the most feared, intimidating boxer that probably existed, maybe of all time. And that night, Ali, then known as Cassius Clay, was an overwhelming underdog. And against all odds, would go on to what he say, shake up the world. And he'd win that fight that night. Now, for us young men, young boys at that time, particularly African-American men, he was more than just a great boxer, someone who had tremendous skill and style and principle and charisma. He was an inspiration. He was an inspiration to people from all walks of life for decades to come. He was bold He was infectious. And yes, he alienated some people. He converted to Islam. He changed his name. He he protested the Vietnam War. But he was a light for so many people across the globe. He was indeed audacious and would proclaim, and I think he was the first person I ever heard use the I am principle so well when he said, I am the greatest. And like I said, he was not without controversy during his time. He gave up his prime years to stand on his principles. But he became one of the most celebrated people across the planet, not just an athlete. And in my view, he was divinely audacious, as we all should be. I think anything less than that, anything to expressing the whole fullness of who what we are as expressions of God is a blaspheming the presence of the presence of God. He was such a light for me and many others. And I recall maybe maybe 40 years later or so, 
I happened to be in Hollywood, California, driving down one of the streets, Hollywood Boulevard, I don't know. And I noticed a, on the side where there was a crowd of people there. And they were all surrounding none other than Muhammad Ali itself, himself. So I stopped on a dime, got out, elbowed all the little kids out of the way <laughs> so I could just get close to him. For he's such a bright light, an audacious light. And although he's no longer with us, he left an indelible imprint on the consciousness across the globe, and it was an embodiment of my interpretation of divine audacity. So welcome to our first week of our Faith in Action series, Divine Audacity. It's based on the book of the same title by Linda Martello Winsett, who actually did a course, I think, for us a few months ago. And Linda describes divine audacity as bold spiritual living in which one declares and affirms, I am divine. Because our nature is one with the nature of the power and the presence of the love of God itself. Understand with divine audacity that I am presence is a light of the world. That signs show brightly that when we begin to let it shine, that everyone around us has to wear shades even at night. <laughs> so today we're saying with absolute faith, when anyone remembers their divine identity, their true spiritual power, they can be a light. They can be a light to others around them. They help them remember who they are and guide them to heal the illusion of separation from the all-knowing, everywhere-present presence known as the Force. So today's introductory topic to our Faith in Series action, Faith in Series series, we're here to remind ourselves that we're here to be that light. We indeed are that light, that light of every man and woman that cometh into the world. Sometimes we paraphrase the words from the master teacher, Jesus, when we, and we say, when you see me, you see God. And don't call me good. It is the God within me that is good. Sometimes we're the light. Sometimes we identify ourselves maybe as the light bulb. Sometimes as spiritual beings, sometimes we're having a human incarnation. Of course, we're both at the same time. We're both the light and we are the light bulb. And I believe that we are here particularly in these times to up-level our wattage so that we can reveal more of what we really are. Because the light is positive energy. Such positive energy is highly contagious. It's uplifting. And I'm sure you've experienced a time when someone with that infectious positive energy walked into a room. And even before that person did or said anything, before you even knew who they were, you could feel an upliftment. You know, I had this experience many years ago. I was uh, at a special event with the Dalai Lama. And uh, they had invited a few of us after the major event to come to a, a brunch and so it may have been about 100 people in the room, and we were all there waiting, you know, for him to come. And then he walked through the door, and you could feel an energy of some sort come over us. And I wasn't on anything at the time. <laughs> but it's a reminder that we are here to be such lights. Because Jesus said, you know, not only was he the light, but he said, ye are the light. He didn't just say, I am the light. 
Or he didn't say, just give me a light. Don't give me a light cores or bud or otherwise. He said, you are the light. And it doesn't have to be some bold superhero accomplishment. Sometimes a small light can do wonders for a dark room. It can light up the whole room. A small light that someone who's going through some dark times can make a huge difference in their life. I was reading an article the other day about, I just found out uh, about a college basketball coach that I happened to know at my university. And the basketball coach is named Pete Carrill. Now, those involved in, you know, in the, in the nuances of basketball, he was a savant of a coach. And those who invented, those who knew him know that he invented something special that's been used in pros and as well as a college called the Princeton offense. It's used in, on many levels. And after retiring as the head coach, he became the assistant coach for Sacramento Kings, I think, for a few years. He was with them in the late 90s, early 2000s. Because his former player, Jeff Petrie, then uh, was an executive and he knew them because he used to be one of his players. Anyway, recently, Pete Carrill made his transition. And there have been several articles written about Pete Carrill. And one was by his former player. And his former player was reminiscing about his experience with him. And that player said, you know, he wasn't very good. He never made a contribution of any significance to the team. He didn't play very much. And this player, whose name was Michael Flynn, shared that after his sophomore year, he decided to give up playing since he knew he wasn't going to be one of the top 12 players to make the team and travel with it. And he went on to say that the next year, in November, you know, his dad had passed away. He had pancreatic cancer. And he came back after the holidays to school, and he said he was feeling a little lost. And so he would go back to the gym where he was familiar with just to play some pickup games, whoever was there. And sometimes it might have been Pete Carell himself who would play around. And Pete used to say, I don't mind playing with you because, you know, I'm like old and you're real slow, so it works out really well. <laughs> they had a really good relationship like that. But he noticed that even though when he left the team, that Pete stayed in touch with him. And so he said he was going through an experience, and he said he went to Pete Carrill's office just to talk to him. And the coach asked him, well, how you doing? And he said he gave some fake response, saying, oh, it's good to be back at school. But Pete Carrill sensed that Mike needed something. He did need something, even though he didn't know what it was. And the coach said to him, said, yo, Flinny, he called him Flinny. But he called, sometimes he called him Jersey City because I think he was from Jersey City. Can you come down to the practice and help out with some of the younger kids? Because they don't really know the plays. He had a really complicated offense. And, and Mike said, I'm not sure. I haven't played in a while. And, but the coach insisted and said, I'll see you tomorrow. And said, Mike said he came to the practice the next day with the team. And although he wasn't officially on the roster, he would often travel with them. And when they made the NCAA tournament, he was part of March Madness. In the senior year, it came around. He said, well, I'm not going to go back because I knew I wasn't going to make the cut. 
But Kirill had called him back to help out with the junior varsity team. And, and he said six months later, he found himself on the roster and a member of the championship team for the league that year. But here's what he wrote. And I found that to be very poignant as I was researching this. He said, since I heard the news of coaches passing, the world seems a little more muted. It seems less colorful. That's because coach was such a bright, colorful light. He used to tell us that some of the guys he coached were light bulbs. Because when they came into the gym, he'd say the lights would go on. Of course, he probably said that to every team that he talked to. But he said the point was that, that excellence was the goal and the most excellent, the light bulbs, made it easier for people around them. They made everybody better. They lit the way. And he writes that I appreciated that Kirill was that light bulb for us. His light was the most unique combination of intelligence, determination, humor, and caring. And he was very gritty, too, because he had, uh, he would use a lot of four-word words. I used to watch practice, and it was very colorful. <laughs> and he said, I'm so fortunate to have crossed paths with this legend. And he said, after some condolences, initial condolences, the coach never really brought up my father again. He said, what he did instead, he gave me something back that I missed when I needed it the most. He said, the coach had a mantra of sorts that he mentioned in his Hall of Fame acceptance speech when he was accepted to the Hall of Fame of basketball. He said, think, see, do. He said, the way you think about things, he would say, affects what you're able to see. And what you see impacts what you do. Think, see, do. And he said, 35 years later, I understand better now what he thought about me. He saw what I needed and did what he did. And there were countless others of light bulbs, no, bout, no doubt, but none was quite the same hue intensity as Coach Pete Carell. And he ended his letter, thanks, Coach, for everything. Coach Carell was a light. Someone who's huge, made a huge difference in that college student's life for the rest of his life. When anyone around us lets their light shine, it gives us the permission to do the same. There was a gentleman named Antonio Smith. And Antonio had overcome abandonment and homelessness. And he learned at age six how to use his mind to climb out of sleeping in a dumpster. And he would spend his entire childhood homeless. He was a ward of the state when he was 14 years old, and he aged out of foster homes when he was 18. And he said up until that point, he identified himself by his history, what had happened in the past, how he labeled himself, or other people labeled him. He, he identified himself based upon past experiences of being abandoned and a homeless orphan. But he said that somewhere along the way, he heard the message that his true identity was that of a spiritual being. 
and that he indeed was a light here to help light the world. And he said he had a revelation that he did not have to see himself as an abandoned homeless orphan. That's a label that we can release and let go. And he said he went to a spiritual community and heard the speaker say what his true identity is. And those, that identity was reflected in the words that you indeed are the light, the light of every person that comes into the world, and you can become anything you make up your mind to be. And Antonio took those words to heart, and he reclaimed his true self. He reclaimed his identity as a spiritual being. And to make a long story short, he became a four-time best-selling author, celebrity business advisor, and speaker. But the story demonstrates the power of what's possible when we claim and reclaim our spiritual identity, when we practice divine audacity and we let our light shine. So as we go through this Faith in Action series, we will see that it's not about putting anything in us, like we're walking around empty. No, it's simply about releasing, releasing the inhibitors that are hindering the flow from coming through us. So we do have to surrender the small self, the limited self, the limited ideas, so that the divine self can come through. And we must declare, I suspend belief in limitations that seem inherent in my human existence. We must proclaim, I disregard appearances and hold a vision of what can be so that it must manifest. I stretch myself beyond my known capacity. Someone asked Ali one time, you know, how many push-ups that he did. He said, you know, I don't start counting till I start feeling the pain. <laughs> he said, that's when he started getting into his true self. That's when he began to catch his true identity. And he began to express that divine audacity that's within us. Sometimes we have an insight, a revelation like Antonio, to help us remember our true self as light beings. Other times we're pushed by circumstances, by the challenges that we face, or the emergencies that show up in our individual or our collective lives. Sometimes emergencies move us and catapult us to move us deeper into expression of our true nature and being and causes us and forces us to tap into that divine awesomeness we all have. But we have to remember our identity. And when we do, we realize we are here to be the great radiators of the divine spirit. I think when we remember that identity clause, that ye are the light, the light of every man and woman that comes into the world, we know to be the light, we must plug into the source. We must acknowledge the light. We must admit that light. We must allow that light to so shine that people see our good works. So as we end today and prepare for the series, I simply ask you, are you willing to let your light shine? Yes. Oh, we have some faint yeses. Are you willing to let your light shine? Yes. Are you willing to step into your divine audacity? Yes. Are you willing to be all that you can be? Yes. I'm telling you, God wants you on display. <laughs> Don't hide your light under a bushel. God wants you on display enthusiastically shining the light, shining the light. So let your light shine. After all, the trees do it. <laughs> 
The flowers do it. And we, being made in the image and likeness of God, we can do it with divine audacity. Peace and blessings. We are grateful for the opportunity to share with you today and hope you've taken something from this Sunday's message. If you'd like to hear more from Spiritual Life Center, be sure to click subscribe on the podcast platform you're listening from. You can find out more about our community on our website at www.slcworld.org. We look forward to being a part of your continued spiritual journey. Wherever you are, God is, and all is well. Spiritual Life Center Transform